welcome to today's podcast, the Meetings and Events podcast. We're doing something different today, and I'm joined here with Sean Specie, and we're going to just co-host this thing and each uh, use it for our own podcasts. Well, and that's fun because I'm so excited to be a guest on yours and you get to be a guest on mine. So, yeah. Um, our our podcast is Mic Drop Events, and I love that we got to connect on LinkedIn and you've got expertise and your company does some really cool stuff that we don't do. And we do some really cool stuff that you guys might not necessarily do. So it's a really fun complimentary conversation, which is, and we were even talking like this is our first time of like hitting record for 30 minutes. Yep. And then it's going to be a half and half kind of fun, fun conversation. So I, I love this. I'm excited to be here with you, Tim. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. I mean, we're kind of like the same person in different States almost. Um, yeah. And so, well, we'll see if that holds to be true. Um, but yeah, so I'm <laughs> going to start off with an interview and then get interviewed and, and who knows what's going to happen here, but uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So Sean, it, you work at Elevate Events and, and you guys have pivoted into virtual events and you guys, you're kind of like a master of all trades in, in this thing. Uh, I, I know you are uh, hosting events, you're part of, you know, designing, producing, you know, being uh, the tech specialist at times, you know, kind of all things as it relates to virtual events. Um, but one of the things that some of our, um, you know, clients and prospects are asking about is, should we get a host for virtual events? And, and what, what does that look like? Um, is that someone that we should recruit from the inside or from the outside, pay for, et cetera? So I'd love to get some of your perspective on this because uh, you've often played the role of host. And um, you are outside of your client's organization, clearly. So uh, tell us a little bit about some of your opinions on that, what works, um, why you think uh, hosts are uh, a part of virtual events, et cetera. Yeah, that's a fantastic question and even a thought process, one that people have been asking for a while now. And the interesting thing is, let's let's imagine like pre pre-COVID, right? Pre-corona. Yep. Yep. You've got a ballroom, you've got a ballroom full of people and who, if you're doing like an internal event, you're putting it on internally, but it's really for your clients. Let's say right. uh, you're trying to recruit and like even engage with your best clients. If you're a company, a lot of times the personality or the profile that they're looking for is someone who's outgoing, who's knowledgeable. That's kind of like the the rock star internally in sales, absolutely or marketing, yep, in a VP type position. And what what's interesting is if you select that type of person to be the host MC of your entire event, what is the one thing they don't get to do at your event with all of your customers in the room? Right, attend. They it. don't get to. They don't get to be an attendant and they don't yeah. get to talk with, with your own customers. Right? Exactly. They're, they're on a stage the whole time. They've got to think about what's coming <laughs> up next. They've got to be listening to the speakers so that they can tie it into the next one. And if they do get the chance to like step off stage and put the microphone down for a second, then they're going to get interrupted in the middle of a conversation, maybe with an amazing client because they have to go back on stage. And so there's, there is this tension between, well, I hiring someone outside who might not fit like what we're looking for. If that's the case, then just keep shopping. Cause I'm sure that there's someone out there that fits what you're looking for. But then also there's, um, this, this side of, well, what do I want my people to be doing at our own events? And should they be the ones introducing now specifically for virtual events? It's a little bit different, right? Because sure. you're not able to be in a room with all of your clients, but you still can. So for example, we just did an event for this company called the Energy Authority out of Jacksonville, Florida, and it was for their clients. 
I was yep. the host MC of it. I produced it. It was a, it, I didn't, pro- we didn't produce the whole conference. We did. They wanted okay. their team, their comp, they wanted their clients to be able to have like a happy hour, fun networking kind of atmosphere virtually. So we did a game show with them, but what okay, we did cool. is they, when we sent their clients into breakout rooms, we sent one like salesperson or one representative from the company per breakout room okay. with their customers. Yep. And so I was able to, my personality, I was able to be like the main MC game show host. And then I was able to allow, because I did that, all of their best people who should be building relationships with their customers and their prospects were able to do that. They, yeah, they so, could focus on that. Yeah. And, and so it's like, what do you want your people to be focusing on? And then specifically for virtual events, we always usually recommend someone to be an MC pairing with, even if you want someone internally, like we've got a bunch of nonprofits and that are clients. And a lot of times they're like, Hey, we really need this person to be on camera and on screen or even companies do as well. And that's great. But what we recommend is having kind of a co-host because moderating and emceeing a virtual event is kind of crazy sometimes. You've got yep. chat is flowing in one side. Yes. You've got things Omni channel. Up on the screen. Yep. Yeah. People are changing their Zoom backgrounds to distract you. Like there's yeah. so much going on. <laughs> and like even in the studio, I just gave you a tour of our studio here a few minutes yeah. ago. In order in order to make virtual events engaging from our perspective, from an MC perspective, like an entertainment side, we've got one, two, three camera angles. We've got yeah. two different TVs in here. I've got lights like literally surrounding me. Yep. And so it's kind of like sensory overload if you're not used to it and you don't yep. know where to look. So we recommend having kind of a co-host because that allows the person from your company, if they do need to be that person on screen, to focus on what they need to say. And then the host MC gets to focus on the technical side, explain, hey, on Zoom, there's going to be this green notification in your breakout room at the top of your screen that says you've got one minute left. The CEO of your company doesn't need to know that. Right. (laughs) No, they can't. So yeah, that's those are a couple of the benefits really of hiring an MC, and then and then going back to the looking for the right person. You can it's like it's almost like it is a job interview because you're hiring someone to do a job. Maybe it's for a day or for a couple of days for your company, but find someone that's going to represent your brand well, yeah. and find someone that's going to be able to actually like learn the lingo that that like takes notes while you're talking because that's what a great MC moderator is going to do anyway. That's that's really helpful. And I think there's some good practical things in there. I like the idea of a co-host. I mean, if you think about live sports, they've been doing that for years. You've yeah. got someone who's doing kind of the literal and someone else doing the color commentary. And and that allows the other to, you know, you know, your, your parts in the play. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I know I'm always going to do color and someone else is always kind of going to do the specifics. And so, um, yeah, I think I think that that's really helpful. Um, I'd be interested to hear from you, you know, when you're talking with your clients about the idea of hosting, how much do you really feel like is appropriate for prep for that? Like discovery, getting in, understanding the clients and and what does that look like for you and your process? Yeah, that's a amazing question. One actually that nobody's ever asked me before. <laughs> so it's fun even just to be thinking about it on the fly. So the yeah. interesting part about the preparation process. So what we're kind of in an interesting spot because we're part small part production company. We don't do like large scale productions. We usually yep. say we usually bring in a partner like your company for yep. example, to handle things like we don't have a 50 foot LED wall. Yep. I wouldn't even know where to start with that. Um, we are we do small scale production and then virtual, it's a little bit different. Then we also do part event planning and the MC 
portion as well. So really the reason why we got into event planning was because we were working so much with the people making events, which a lot of times they don't have event planner or event planning in their job description or in their job title, right? Sure. It's an executive assistant or the VP of marketing. That's usually yep. who gives us a call because they're like, hey, I've, we want to do this event. I don't have someone who does this regularly. Can you help us? So really how it started, how our business started was we used to just be known as the on-screen or on-stage talent. Okay. And then because we were doing it so often, we would chime in on their conversations when they were in the middle of the event planning side, we, they yep. would ask us to be involved, which is part of your question. I really believe in involving your MC moderator in the planning side because they can hear the reasons why you're making decisions. That makes sense. Rather than just show up on the day of and say, well, why did you choose this? Because that doesn't make any sense and we need to change it to do this. And then it just stresses everybody out. Yep. So I recommend involving whoever's going to be MC moderator, at least if, if not from the very beginning, probably about the middle of your planning process because they can hear the reason why again. Uh, but what was happening is we were starting, we were doing it so often, they would start to include us a little bit earlier and we would give thoughts and input because we were always thinking about, hey, if you ask the audience to do this, that means that I have to say this and that just doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't flow. The flow. Yep. Yeah. So that's what we always love thinking about is the flow. And there's a ton of different ways to think about that. There's actually a woman um, named Emma Pitts uh, okay. from a production company here in the Atlanta area called Pulsepark. And she has this amazing diagram that she draws where it kind of looks like an alligator mouth. It's like this V that's getting narrower. And she talks about how people's, when they start, when you start an event, people's emotions and where they're entering their mindset are all over the map. Some people are going to be like on cloud nine. Some people are going to be like just, they're just going to be depleted of all kinds of energy. Yeah. And by the end of the event, you want to narrow those emotions and you want to narrow those feelings and narrow that mindset to where everybody leaves on the same page. And you as an event planner are writing what you want that to be. So yeah. what, how do you want people feeling when they leave the event? How do you want people to be thinking when they leave the event? Two mm -hmm. weeks later, when your event is just a memory, what do you want them to be talking about? That's why we love being involved as an MC moderator host earlier on in the process, because we can ask the questions that say, hey, if you want them to feel like that, then experientially, what if we try doing something creative like this yeah. to get everyone on the same page and then yep. leave this common thread and all those kinds of things? Yeah, that, it's really good. I, and, you know, one of the things I was thinking about as you were talking about that is with in-person events, oftentimes that was handled through a welcome reception, right? It's kind of like, hey, you've traveled in. It's an easy entry. You know, we're not going to ask a lot about attendees because, yeah, they're coming in, as you'd mentioned from Emma Pitts, this idea of there's they're all over the map could be stressful. Some people could be excited. You know, there's emotions all over. So normalizing that so that you can really kind of funnel this experience and interestingly enough, and I haven't really thought about this with virtual events, oftentimes we just jam straight into the content. You jump in and, and there's not really that ease into it. And so um, it's interesting to think about how a host could help to level set the audience emotions, bring them into kind of a shared mindset, you know, so uh, that's that's really helpful. Well, well, and, and I love that you even put two and two together because... Yeah. 
as, as I was talking about that, I, I, I hadn't even thought about that, but you're absolutely right. Like we used to do something like a conference opener yeah. or a welcome reception, or you used yep. to hold, even if it's not necessarily a formal reception, yep. you used to have like a vendor trade show and maybe yeah, a little easy bit of entry while the doors are closed for the main ballroom. You're absolutely right. And so now what does that look like? And virtually, like one of the things that we love to do is two things. We love to go live early. Okay. And we love to start engaging with the crowd about five to 10 minutes before the official start time, because you will get the early birds who log in early, yep. not many, yep. but you will get them. And then the second thing we love to do is we just love to do like a virtual event basics where yep. we go over the basics of the platform. And it's almost like the housekeeping items that you would handle at the event. Like, Hey, restrooms are over here. Refreshments yep. are over here. Or instead now it's like, Hey, if you need to rename yourself, click here. Or yep. if you need the help desk, click here, whatever that yep. looks like. So that's yep. These are these are great elements that we can now talk about virtually because we have that framework. So I, I love those thoughts. So already some gold here in today's conversation. And I think another thing that gets lost in the process of virtual events and something I know you're passionate about is that sometimes, not always, but sometimes in the process of getting some of these events off the ground, uh, we may lose track of whether or not the events are enjoyable or not or fun or not. We can check off on all the right key metrics and get all the information we need in there and even minimize risk by doing everything pre-recorded or talk tracks for everything. But then in the end, find the result is that it kind of lands a little flat. So I think that that's built into your name at Elevate, but also something I know you're passionate about. So maybe talk a little bit about how you guys help to bring some of the enjoyment to events. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because our name, like you brought up, is Elevate Experiences is the name of our company. And the reason why we selected that is twofold. Number one is elevate means to like to lift, to help yep. something go higher. Yeah. And so that's really the goal, the goal of it. And if you're listening to this podcast, maybe you can find us on social media. I'm standing in front of our logo right now, which is a wing, which is also an E, and it means basically like to lift and help go higher. And then the reason why we chose experience is we used to be Elevate Live events, but we went through a brand change and a name change a little while ago. And we changed it because we believe that experiences, or sorry, events are something that you attend yep. and experience is something that you undergo, right? Mm. So like I had breakfast with my daughter and my wife this morning. That was an event. It was a moment in time where something happened. I was with my family is an, an event in my life, but an experience would be something like taking my daughter with my wife to her first ever like soccer practice soccer drills she's three and a half years old so it was so fun a couple weeks ago like that was an experience yeah and actually like going through and and doing different exercises with her is something that i underwent and it was so fun it was team building it's gonna be memories we've got pictures whereas like i don't have any pictures from breakfast this morning I yeah exactly it happened yeah <laughs> <laughs> right and so, um, and so yes, like thinking through, if you're, if you're listening to this or watching this video, how can you make it an experience and not just an event is something that we talk about. And uh, again, like I just posted on LinkedIn this morning that events should be enjoyable. They right. should be enjoyable for you as the planner and the producing team. And you should, they should also be enjoyable, of course, for your audience, because if they're not going to be enjoyable for your audience, they're not going to want to come again. You right. might force them to, if it's an internal event for your company 
company, yep. but they're not going to want to. And yep. if you don't want to be there and they don't want to be there, then there's really no point. So it, even if you have to do like hard conversations for events or you have to do like like we did, we did an event, a hybrid event for a company where it was part HR updates because it was like their annual benefits enrollment kind of thing. And then the second part was awards and they paired the two together. It's kind of fun. And it was kind of fun because as the MC, I was wearing like this shiny gold jacket because we were going to be in awards. And then I handed it off. And what's interesting is because there was already this air of celebration, yeah. the HR representatives that were there, that this is their client they're with, they ended up like making it engaging by asking questions and by joking around and by having a good time. And so it even made the HR side of what they were doing, which if you're an HR rep, hear me say HR is not all like boring. I know that that kind of right. stereotype. But it could have been an unengaging and a not very fun conversation, and it wasn't. Yeah. Um, it, it didn't seem that long at all. So I know that you and I talked briefly. I've got three quick points about how to make it enjoyable. Yeah, I'd love and to then, discuss those. Yeah. And then right after that, I get to flip the script on you, and yeah. we, I get to interview you and ask you some questions. So the three parts are really simple. Number one is um, we highly recommend planning short segments at your event. So if you have two hours, think in terms of five minutes, 10 minutes, and 15 minutes. Do something like change something up every five, 10, or 15 minutes, yep. and it will help everybody feel like it's going. So do like a two-minute video, and then a five-minute, hey, drop this in chat and interact with people, and then a 15 15-minute talk. And then if you're going to book a keynote speaker, even you can say, Hey, we're going to book you for 45 minutes. But after 15 minutes of talking, we want you to do like five minutes of interacting with the audience and coach yeah. them through what you want them. So that's, that's number one. And then number two is to interact and interact often, which pair, I, I just mentioned interaction, but a lot of times people will, they, they can, you can plan short segments, but if you want your audience to really be engaged and paying attention, get them to interact in some small way, whether that's doing a poll, yep. typing something in chat, whatever that looks like for you. And, and we've got a bunch of ideas around that as well. And then the last one is to entertain. And here's the thing is because you're interacting on a screen, which like people are used to being entertained on a screen. They've got YouTube, they've got Netflix, they've got Disney oh, Plus. Yeah. TV so, for generations. Exactly. Entertain someone. And if you can do that, if you can do short segments, interact with them and entertain, I guarantee your audience is going to have a good time and your event's going to be classified as enjoyable. Yeah. Wow. I, those are super helpful. I think that just some of those principles, really practical, you know, switching things up often, especially for a virtual audience. I mean, because a, a distraction is often a click away. And so keeping people to, even if they do click away, they're not gone for long because they're coming back. They're curious about what's happening next. And so I think that that is, is really rich and, and a good, a great way to elevate your experience. Well, and I just wrote that phrase down, which is the perfect segue. <laughs> now I get to start interviewing you and hearing more of your thoughts. You, you said distraction is often a click away. That is, that's one of the best quotes for virtual events that I've heard for distractions since this whole thing started. So thank, thanks. That was awesome. All sorts of nuggets whole... in the, today's conversation. Yeah, man. I, I'm, I'm like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta post on LinkedIn about this. And this and I'm so excited for all the, the great thoughts that are coming out of this. So, um, well, all right, Tim, so I get to flip the script on you. Let's do it. Um, so you're, in, you're based in Colorado yep. and you guys, you, when we were talking about this, you were talking about the different waves of virtual events and even now hybrid events that we're starting to see throughout the, just the events industry, which even if you're in the banking industry, but you're doing events 
for your clients, your people, they're still somewhat in the events industry. So what are, what are those waves that you're talking about? Yeah. I mean, so this isn't necessarily scientific. And I think that the process of determining waves or generations or eras is kind of negotiated by people who like to espouse and talk about these things. But the reason I talk about them in terms of waves is because we saw a distinct difference in Q2 to Q3 of last year going into Q4. And here was the difference. At first, clearly it started with an outside force for events. Clients weren't choosing to produce virtual events, they had to. And so wave one was all about survival. Clients were choosing, hey, do I cancel, postpone, or convert my event into a virtual event or, or just don't do the event at all? And so without the expertise, most of the conversations were around platforms. So it was, hey, what platforms are out there you know, platform searches literally on Google. If you looked at Google word trends were spiking, it was an absolute like skyrocket up. Everyone was just trying to figure out how do I produce virtual events? Companies like Zoom saw 3000% increase in users. So you think of it, it was mostly about platforms and, and it was about how do I produce a virtual event? How, how do we do this thing that, that is virtual events? And so we became experts in platforms and we built our own platform for small customization, you know, uh, small to mid-sized events. And we worked with other platforms and Trotto, SpotMe, you know, Cadence, Hopin and, and other things. And, and because of this idea of it being more about survival and getting these things off the ground, there wasn't a lot of attention towards the actual event. And we didn't necessarily know what the audiences were experiencing because we just needed to get the event off the ground, right? And so then what happened is that some of our clients and I think corporations across the world started to get some virtual events under their belt. They produced a few and they learned from them. And not only that, many people, including our clients and you and me, we attended a lot of virtual events, whether those were industry events, best practice events, et cetera. And we started to form our own opinions and, and point of view on the experiences, right? We knew good ones from bad ones. We probably signed up for some and then realized, hey, this is not worth my time and I can just click away or I can leave it on and not really be there. And, you know, in, in an in-person event, we could tell if an attendee was lost because they'd be wandering and looking aimlessly. In a virtual event, we can have thousands of attendees lost and have no clue. And so wave two, what we started to see was that it was all around word engagement. And then we saw this in Google Word Trends as well, as we were looking at SEO titles for our blog and whatnot. And the next asked question that started to creep in there is, how do I make my virtual events more engaging? And so we kind of move from this, you know, Q1 uh, conversation, well, Q2 through Q3 conversation of how do I produce virtual events into this, how do I make them more engaging? And so then we started to see more interest in virtual event design. We started to have more opinions as far as, hey, things like 5, 10, 15 minutes, snackable items, et cetera. You know, and we also started to see the, the platforms change some too. So people were a little bit more interested in two-way engagement with attendees if that wasn't happening before, uh, or, or the loss in networking was a big part of it. So, you know, we, we love that as a part of our in-person events. It was part of the magic of just human connection, me having a conversation with you, you know, feeling the energy of that. And if they were just didactic, if it was just, you know, us kind of constantly broadcasting to the masses, well, that can work, but you miss some of that engagement, right? Which sometimes what we found is that client may be saying, hey, how do I make my event more engaging? 
Um, and they, they often thought about that in terms of just networking. So it was kind of engaging equals networking or whatnot, but really engagement, I think happens at every single level happens in your content, making that engaging. It happens in your flow and your pace and your variety and the duration of segments. All of those have the potential to contribute to this phenomenon of whether my attendee or the events attendee is engaged or not. And so that was really cute too. And some of the platforms got better too. You know, we saw things like wonder.me, which is out really great networking platform. Gatherly is another one that we've used. A lot of the, the bigger platforms started to introduce more one-on-one -on -one meetings and scheduling and stuff. And so some of the functionality got better too. And so with that, we started to design different virtual events that were more informed from that first wave. And then now I think we're starting to see the emergence of what could be a third wave of virtual events, which is once it's safe for in-person events, by and large, I talk about safety in terms of, you know, there's risk that we take anytime we get in a car, on an airplane, et cetera. And that risk will remain, even if there's some semblance of COVID that has the potential for large gatherings. Um, but let's say that that's largely minimized and so it's safer in-person events. What actually happens with that? Do, do we find that if given an option, many attendees opt for virtual? Is that a minority? Is it a majority? Is it split? And then in addition to that, we're seeing some of these platforms just get massive funding. So you look at a swap card and, and hop in and um, spot me. These are series A and series B fundings for, you know, 45, $200 million. And so I think what we're going to start to see is a little bit of a, a race, a space race almost to build the most comprehensive platform for these virtual events. But one thing I do see in that is that investors who've done a lot of research on the topics think that there is a home and a, and a clear business case for virtual events, even in a potential third, third wave where it's safe to gather. But even then, I'd like to attend things virtually for a number of reasons, cost, safety. And so I'll be interested to see what comes of that. Well, and what you just explained for everyone is super important. And because there's probably some people out there that might still, they might have still been resisting going to virtual events. They're yep. still waiting to come back to in-person. And it's important because if you ever want to go through this process, you just laid it out for us. The first wave, the first thing you got to do, like I wrote this down, the main question from the first wave through platforms and survival is how do I produce virtual events, right? Yep. That's the main question from wave number one. And then the second wave that you talked about where you're we now we know how to produce them. Now we're starting to ask real questions and you were talking about the actual experience. Yep. So the main question that I wrote down, which is I 100% agree, is now that I know how to plan and produce it, how do I make my events more engaging? Right. So then the third question now, which if I'm reading between the lines of what you're talking about, now that we can get back together in person, the question is, should we for this event? Right? Absolutely. So, yep. So it's, it's, it's either that question that we need to be asking ourselves. at the same time, it's when we're planning an event, it's, should it be hybrid where it's got a live stream or a, a virtual aspect? Should it yep. be all virtual? Or should it be all in person, which is even while you're describing this, I was thinking about sports. Sports is something I've been thinking about for a while now, like the mm -hmm. Super Bowl. If you think about it, 
to, to some people's descriptions, it would be considered a, a hybrid event, a large in-person gathering of people. You have an event that like it's an event, it's a time and a place that something's happening. And then it's being broadcasted to literally all over the world via now streaming mostly. Exactly. And TV services and things like that. And so the interesting part about sports is that all of a sudden, like if the game gets boring and one side is blown out the other, unless you're like a rabid fan, you're going to hold some people's attention. But especially at like a Super Bowl party, for example, they're just going to start talking about their chips and dip. Just, and then you can hang the out. Millions of, and then the millions of dollars that the sponsors are spending, like no one's going to pay attention to the commercials because everyone's lost interest in the game. They're going to go yep. back to just having a party, right? And so this is a question that we should all be asking is, should this, so in this third wave, still focus on how do I produce it, focus on how do I make it engaging, and then we've got to first even like almost backtrack and say, okay, well, which one should it be? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that happened, a catalyst of COVID kind of unintended was that we really increased the digital capabilities of the average person. You know, we've got grandparents Zooming and, you know, using yes. video conference and stuff like that. So that wasn't necessarily the case before. So now we've got this new capability as virtual, as meeting professionals call it, where as before a virtual event wasn't an option. I think in today's world, it is. And so we're encouraging a lot of our clients to just throw out the events playbook. If what was true in 2019 is not true today. And so think of things afresh. What is when you when you break down your event that you might've done in 2019, do you still need that same event? Is it still relevant for the same audience? When I think about what I want the attendee experience to be, does that map as, as I begin to note some of those things out. Does that map to an in-person event? Does it map to a hybrid? Does it map to virtual? Because one of the things that could happen with hybrid, if it's not done right, is it could be the worst of both experiences. Ooh, you could oh, have, you so could good. have an in-person attendee compromise who constantly feels like Ugh, they're catering to the virtual attendee, or you could have a virtual attendee who just feels like I'm an afterthought. And so I think we've really got to be intentional with the idea of hybrid and to do it right. It may even take more money than what your in-person event took in 2019, because now you've got a whole other audience that you need to be designing for. And so we'll see, but I, I think that, you know, the, the way to combat some of those potential ramifications is just be really intentional with how you're planning your event and do so from an informed standpoint. So take, take your learnings from what you've produced in virtual and propel those into like, hey, maybe we need to convert this series, this annual kickoff, instead of bringing everyone, you know, to Vegas in January, let's do that as a virtual one. And let's have more intentional connection points uh, later in the year, which is more about relationship building than internal communications, things like that, where it's like, we couldn't think about that before, but now we can and we should. So good. Oh my gosh, this is like the perfect way to end this podcast. <laughs> and I'm I literally got chills like on like I got chills when you said that if we're not careful with our hybrid event, it could be the worst of both experiences. Could be. Both live and virtual, which is so true, which is all the more reason to going back to way back at the beginning of, the, of our recording together, thinking about like, should you partner with outside company or should you not? 
And if you don't have someone who's done this before or someone who's creative enough to, which to some degree, like there's, there's some people, we've just never all done this before, but yeah. there's still a lot of things out there that we can learn from like sports, for example. Absolutely. So if you don't have people on your team that have the amount of time and energy that it takes to be dedicated to something like a hybrid event and you're going to do it, you need to invest in, because it's not a cost or a price. It is an investment into the experience so that you can avoid yeah. having the worst of both experiences so that was yep. that was so money well tim this has been so fun uh, we're going to take this recording and chop it up into two for my podcast and then um, i believe one for yours yep and i would love for everyone listening on our podcast mic drop events where can they find you online yeah unbridled.com for the company as a whole uh, our podcast is the meetings and events podcast and you can find it on Spotify, Apple. And so, um, and for our listeners, where do we find you? So Elevate Experiences is our website. You can just uh, Google it. It should pop up with our social media. We also, it's kind of like Lord of the Rings-esque. We created one link to rule them all. Yes. And it'll take you to our YouTube channel. It'll take you to Instagram. It'll take you to our website, but it's, um, and it's options for each one. It's basically a link tree link. But if you go to elevate.tips, elevate.tips, there's options there for, it's kind of like a choose your own path, which way you want to yeah. go. Because we're on a lot of different platforms, so... Well, Tim, you 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 dropped the mic multiple times. Hopefully, your <laughs> listeners get get a chuckle out of some of the things we talked about, as well as some value out of it. And this has just been so fun. So, thanks for joining me, and it was such a pleasure joining you on yours. Yeah, yeah, really appreciate the insights. I think some really awesome tips and and tricks for hosts, some practical things for how to elevate your experience. So, um, hopefully, this has been great for our listeners as well. Well, Tim, thanks again, and I'll see you later. Sounds good.